Welcome back to the iFloat Radio Podcast. I'm sitting here on a beautiful Sunday afternoon here in Westport, Connecticut. We're at iFloat. I'm here with Paul Grency. He's the, the guest today. And before we get started, I'm going to give a shout out to our sponsor, which is the Mental Arts Network. You can visit them at mentalartsnetwork.com. We are part of the network. And what we do is we offer classes and trainings for people to improve their communication skills, both for individuals, businesses, and people interested in running float centers. A lot of the work that we teach about is based on John C. Lilly, who invented floating. So you can check it out at mentalartsnetwork.com. There's a really good newsletter that Mental Arts puts out, and uh, we have it here at iFloat as well as other float centers, and it's electronic. So Paul, thanks for being on the podcast today. You're welcome. I just asked Paul to do the podcast like 10 minutes ago or five minutes ago after his <laughs> float, but he's been coming here. Well, how long have you been coming here? At least three years. Yeah, so how long have you been here? Pretty much, yeah. So okay. we were just joking that we switched our keys. We offer tea to people after they float, and we have about four consistent teas that people can choose from, and then one that we change up every month. But we've had the same four teas since we opened over three and a half years ago, and so now it's like onward and upward, you know, it's like different keys. But let's start off with a question I often ask people is how, how did you come here? How did you end up arriving at iFloat? Um, well, I guess floating itself was starting to become pretty popular with some famous personalities talking about it. And I knew someone who had floated a couple times and uh, I was pretty intrigued. They actually came to me and said, you know, Paul, I, I think this is something that you might be interested in. Mm. So uh, I had recently moved to Stanford, Connecticut and decided to do a Google search. And lo and behold, about 10 miles away was Westport and iFloat. Why did they think you would be interested in it? That's a great question. Um, I'm not totally sure. I guess I'm an inquisitive uh, self-explorer kind of by nature. And uh, the guy that had floated a couple times probably experienced some of that himself and knew me pretty well and, and thought it might be something I might uh, like to explore. Talk about your journey with floating even before you took any of the mental arts classes, like starting with the first float and, and onward. Like what have, what have you noticed from beginning up until well, before you started even taking those classes? What was going on? Um, on, the, on the surface level, just a, a slowdown. So I signed up pretty quickly for the monthly program. I think maybe my second time I was here, I, I decided that I liked it enough uh, after the first float and the second float to, to do it regularly. And uh, so one of the things it does for you in the, in the 24 to 48 hours after the float, me personally, I felt like the outside world really couldn't bug me. I was really level, even keeled and... Uh, Probably a pleasure to be around if you ask my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so she was probably like, hey, you should sign up for a membership. Totally. <laughs> there are spouses, either husbands or wives, that sometimes come in here to sign the other spouse up for a membership. Because <laughs> they're like, my life is better when my spouse is floating. Yes. So <laughs> I, I can say that I definitely, uh, my wife benefited from that. My kids probably benefited from that. And uh, my staff at the business I own probably benefited from that. So you're a tech guy. Yes. Um, 
rapid pace, 24-7, 365, always something to worry about type of environment. Talk a little bit about just the company that you have and what you guys do. Sure. We, uh, we provide managed IT services for businesses. So we basically walk in and say, you know, we'll support everything that you need 24-7, 365, and uh, this is what's going to cost a month. Everything's unlimited. So all the onus is on us to make the right decisions and, uh, and make sure that they don't have any issues. There was a point in your journey in coming here where you seemed to move from a place of using floating as a stress reduction tool to wanting to go deeper. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that kind of snuck up on me. Um, you know, I, I went in, I, I knew from the literature that it was relaxing and that it was physically healthy and there were, you know, sleep and health benefits of all sorts. And that was probably a, a focus uh, for a while along with de-stressing. And then probably about a year into it, I don't know what changed, but all of a sudden I started seeing more benefits, longer benefits, thinking benefits for lack of a, a better way to phrase it. Um, when I was not in the tank, I was still experiencing these benefits. So I was changing like cumulatively uh, each time that I floated. And that's definitely not in the literature that I had been reading. I remember also talking with you early on when you started coming here that there was some point in your life, I think a few years even before you started coming here, where you made some kind of a shift to starting to pay attention to what goes on inside of yourself. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's true. And that, that was before I, I found floating and perhaps even led me to floating. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly how to explain that either. That was, that was me being moderately successful in life, moderately happy with a house and a family and kids and all those things that, you know, you're supposed to be going for, so to speak. And, uh, and I still didn't feel accomplished. I didn't feel satisfied. I didn't feel like I was doing what it was I was supposed to be doing. Um, and, and that caused me to start to question a lot of things that I had assumed were true and was maybe told by society was true and religion and family and all sorts of things. I started to ask questions about and be a little less sure that I actually was right about them. Yeah, that, that's interesting because there was a woman here yesterday who actually came back from the Harmony class that we offer, the Mental Arts Network offers. And she, we were talking about this idea of a person being confident. And so she was describing like someone who she perceived as being confident. And, and I corrected her. I said, it's not that that person is confident because I know the person. I said, it's that they're at one with themselves. And there's a difference between feeling confident, because actually everybody's confident, it just depends on what they're confident about. Mm -hmm. The example I gave her is that if somebody, for example, believes they're a victim, they're actually very confident about believing that In that belief. Right. We're always confident in whatever, whatever it is that we believe, but the person she was, she was talking about is, is at one with themselves. And if I look back to my early 20s, and I talk about it a lot because a lot of people ask me, how did I get involved in floating? And it started a long time ago. When I had a really great job and a great career and I was eating well and exercising, everything just seemed like if you checked all the boxes to like a successful early 20-something-year-old, like I had all the checks and all of a sudden like life wasn't so great 
and I developed chronic fatigue, and that's what got me to start to pay attention to what was going on with him too. Because another concept that I talk to people a lot about, and I talk about people with this, like even in the classes that we teach, is this idea of rightness of fit. And it's not necessarily about how we feel about things, although, I mean, it is, that's, that's a symptom. But it's like, where is it, for example, despite everything conventionally appearing to be fine, where is it that I'm not actually fitting in the world in terms of like, is there something that's meant to be coming through me that isn't coming through me into my family or into my business or out into the world? Because I think when that's going on, then people usually are compelled to turn within at some point. I mean, sometimes people push it off. They, they kind of keep the, you know, they keep the waves like away. And, but eventually they splash a little bit too much. And people are like, oh, I'm getting really wet. My hair's really bad. And I need to do something about this. And so like they might turn to certain uh, substances and things like that to try to go within or try to numb it. But usually people eventually go within. I remember my mentor in Los Angeles who I originally got involved with a lot of this work like years ago. I remember I used to sit on his couch. He was He's a Jungian psychoanalyst and he taught me a lot about dream analysis. And I would just go to his house on Sundays. It was his day off. And he would like teach me about dreams and I'd bring dreams. And he'd be like, you know, like most guys your age i was like 24 at the time he's like most of them are like at the beach right now it's la it's sunny he said but you know what they'll end up on my couch like years later <laughs> either on his couch or somebody's couch right because everybody eventually has to go with them and so so something was was going on on for you in terms of getting you to the place where you would you would you would go within now Let's fast forward a little bit because you're an eye floater, but you're also an eye floater who's taken the mental arts courses that we offer. And talk a little bit about what that's been like for you to take the classes that, that we provide here. Okay. Or what even actually, what inspired you to take the introduction to the art of rewriting? That one's easy. Um, I was looking, every time I floated, I was looking at uh, the Office of Shaman uh, book by John Worthington and uh, something about it always drew my attention um, and probably the third or fourth time I picked it up I said okay clearly I should read this book well it's, it's actually <laughs> the foreword that drew your attention you didn't realize that you know I wrote the foreword I have to you know I have to plug myself in. right so that's actually you know what really drew you John John stuff just you know it's all right but you know those, those three or four pages that I wrote those are really amazing <laughs> amazing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but truthfully, the, uh, the book was kind of like a gateway um, for me. So I, I read this book and uh, it introduces you to a, a fictional person and a story about uh, how they're uh, viewing reality around them and, and lots of conversation about that. And when I got to the end of the book, um, John actually has his personal email in the back of the book. And I was surprised to find that and I found myself really reaching out to him because I was compelled to find the next step. So something had started, like my motor was going and I, I the book was done. I, it was on the last page. What do I do? What was it about the book that stirred stirred you? Um I saw so much of myself in the characters in the book that I just I, I had to go I had to find out more. 
I was compelled to to do something uh, uh, around the topics that the book was talking about. And when I reached out to John, um, he was really friendly about it and said, "Well, hey, you know, if you're if you're serious about this, you know, we teach classes. Uh, you should definitely start there." And he threw a couple of books my way that I could read in, in preparation for those classes. And uh, I think I pretty much signed up for the intro to rewrite within two weeks of finishing the book. Um, after talking to you, of course, we uh, had a little conversation to see if I was a good candidate for it. Um, and then I took the intro class, which is uh, the first one to, to start with. It's interesting that you bring that up because it's true. I, I don't recommend the class to everybody. And I actually have to check to see if it's a really good fit for somebody. And there, there are times when I tell somebody you know, that this isn't really a good fit for you. And, and the main reason is because not everybody's in a position yet to really look at themselves. And they might say, I think I want to take that class and I'll ask some questions. And if there's a resistance to really answering anything about themselves, then I tell them it's, it's not really a good fit because the class is really about them. And if they don't want to actually answer questions about themselves, then it's not really going to go well because it's not one of these academic classes where you sit there and you take notes and you can kind of hide in the back. You actually, it, it, you're, you're going to be interacting with people. And one of the jokes that I often, or the jokes I often make with people in the classes or even later is I, something might come up because the classes are very practical and people are just, they're writing a neural program that comes out of John C. Lilly's work and it's like, okay, start with the goal and then these other things. And so, of course, things are going to come up. And so I might say, like, well, why, why do you do such and such or why this? And, and the classic response is, I don't know. And I'm like, well, I'm asking something about you. You're the only one who knows. You could know, you know right. This isn't like a textbook answer. It isn't like, you know, what is the, what is the, 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 you know, the product of this chemical reaction? It's <laughs> like, so, well, let me, let, me, let me open up my chemistry book and find out. It's like, no, I'm asking you, like, why you do this thing. And con that we're consciously often telling ourselves, well, I just don't know the answer, but that's what keeps that reality in place. Mm -hmm. And so somebody has to be in a place where they're willing to soften their mind. And, and the connection with floating is that floating actually helps us soften our mind. And it's an interesting term, but that's, that's how I see it. Like when I'm, I agree. when I am asking people questions and if they're working on the art of rewriting or they're working in my program three class and, and they're saying, I say, well, what is this? And they, they say, well, I just don't know. I say, well, why don't you soften your mind a little bit? One of the examples came up with a, a daughter and her mother. And the daughter is going to be on my podcast, hopefully, at the end of the month. But the daughter brought her mother in. And when I was explaining the float tank and I took them into the room after their orientation video, the daughter was like, Mom, you look panicked. And the mom was like, I'm, I'm not panicked. And I said, well, what? what if you were panicked? Like, what do you, if you were panicked, what do you suppose you might be panicked about? And it's just like trying to get people to soften their mind because we always know the answers to things. Sometimes it's not just a single answer either. And that's one of the things we teach about is about dichotomies because sometimes one of the traps that we have in terms of examining ourselves is that's this dichotomous thinking because someone's asking me why I'm doing this thing. And what if I give the wrong answer? What if it's not this or this? And I always say, it's like, well, maybe it's like several things going on at the same time. Now, after you took the, the intro class, or let's talk a little bit about that for you. What was, what was that experience like for you, that introductory class? I probably thought it was going to be a class like any other class, right? I, I don't think uh, you can truly be prepared 
uh, and that's actually a good thing in my opinion. Uh, you want to catch this one from left field so that it, it uh, you can't uh, try and stop it from getting through. You know, and it, it came at me from a direction I wasn't ready for, um, and it was so authentic, and in in such an environment that's unfamiliar um, to any other environment I've ever learned in before. That uh, I mean, by the end of the second day, I was actually changing. I mean, forty eight hours into the class, I was like changing. What was something that you noticed changing? That softening concept was was catching. And it wasn't something that I was going to forget. You know, it was a, it was a permanent adjustment in, in things, which was great because it led to the, the next class. Well, that like I also, the, the image that comes to my mind is like when instead, instead of when your business partner comes up and says like, hey, Paul, like what, what's going on with this thing? Like, why are you, in, instead of this kind of like concrete kind of like barrier, I, my guess is that you started to actually kind of be like, let me slow down here and like look. That's sort of yes, <laughs> uh, as you were saying a little earlier, you know, I had all the answers. I knew, you know, uh, what was going on, and um, I made sure that uh, I simplified it and dichotomized it, and was the one with the answer. Of course, that probably wasn't very accurate or true or useful, um, and that's part of how I had to grow into becoming a good partner, uh, and this certainly helped me do that by softening my mind and. Uh, considering that there were more pieces to these things than maybe I was actually aware of, le left me a little space to start to say, you know, actually, I, I think I need to look at that a little harder. I'll get back to you kind of thing. Yeah, and, and the other piece that is always really liberating and it softens us even more, and I remember I was talking to my brother about this last year, and he, he owns a business, and he says, you, know, you have to be able to have conversations with people when they call you out for being an asshole. And if someone's like, you're being an asshole. And they might and be if, right. Yeah, and if you're not willing <laughs> to really look at it, if you're just like, Psh, you don't know. You don't know what it's you're your about. problem. Yeah, if, 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 but if we're willing to be like, okay, let me actually look at where I'm being an asshole. And, and some people listening to us might be like, that's so offensive. And it's just like, well, maybe you need to slow down and look at that yourself. Because the thing is, is that there are always going to be places where we err. And, uh, and, and sometimes we defend those places and that's actually where the, the asshole part comes in. You know, it's like, it's like I'm, I'm making an error and I'm defending it over and over again and nobody can communicate with me. And so when we can actually look at that, not only look at things from different points of view, but actually look at where it is that we might actually be maybe not doing things in such a great way. And when that happens, then, then a lot of things can, can open up. Yeah, and that's the part, those are the parts that you defend the most. So, you know, they're very well protected until you start to slow down and say, wow, I'm really defending that notion. Why? Why, why can't I just talk about that? You know, or what happens if I consider that as if true just for a moment? Let me re-examine that situation. And then you go, uh-oh, look at that. Even last night, I, there, was, there was something that I was considering doing, and I sent it out to, to a friend of mine just to kind of get their input and um, and they responded and and then I, I took their input and I kind of examined it a little bit more and it was just something important that I needed to like put out and just to kind of get a different point of view and it, and it really helped me a lot and it's like we can't you know, cause so sometimes there's the part of like people approaching us and saying like what the hell is this but the other part is also getting to a place where we're actually being proactive 
and and there is something going on in us and it's like i don't actually know if this matches reality because one of the concepts we talk about even in the introductory classes and this is true for floating too it's it's the point is to balance the internal reality which is in here with the external reality which is out here and increasingly i know for myself if i sense that my internal reality isn't balanced or i question if it is about like something uh, it helps when i when i communicate about it and there's a guy there's a guy here this morning who's been coming a lot and he's taken some of our classes and and he's really starting to see and it's taken a while that he doesn't actually have all the answers and he has a business as well and he actually this morning because he was talking about this thing and I said, you know, because I've actually taught, you know, he's, he's taken a number, number of different uh, courses in floating. And so I'm familiar with what's going on. And I just like, you know, you can look at it this way. And he's like, wow, he's like, I never would have thought of that had I not been communicating with you about it. Mm -hmm. And in the past, I never would have, never would have communicated about this. I would have kept it all in. I would have assumed I knew and I would have just decided. And I said, well, you know, that's where you're shooting yourself in the foot. Is, is that piece there so like how so you took the intro class and then you did the 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 art of rewriting which is the one-on-one based work yep. and how did that how did that grow for you in terms of like moving from the, like an introductory experience to that part um well i mean clearly it's an introduction right i mean uh, so it, in two days we did something that when you take the full class can take months and hundreds of communications and uh hours and hours of contemplation and self-exploration and all that and communication uh, with your facilitators. So that, that just, again, that it, it was a real progressive step for me. It was the floating, the book, the intro class, and after the intro class, I'm like, okay, what's next? Um, and then, of course, you were happy to share, well, we can sign you up for a rewrite in case you started. So I did. Um, and that was a much more thorough uh, exploration of, of what's going on for me. And uh, I can say that uh, alongside of that, uh, we actually started taking a, another class that you had going, uh, which is the program theory class. And um, again, John C. Lilly type material, and they played very well off of each other, uh, being immersed in the process of the rewrite, uh, which um, I, I don't think I went more than 24 hours without some sort of communication throughout the entire course of the rewrite. Um, so that pace coupled with the weekly program theory class uh, webinar that we had really kept this material top of mind for me for an extended period of time. And uh, that really helped me navigate my way through um, all the steps and, uh, and, uh, and make some adjustments. The, there was a thing that I sent out this morning and I want to pull it up here because you're you're enrolled in the in the the class currently, or you're you're auditing it in a way because you've taken it before. Sure. But right. what but what I do when we, we what we do for people listening is we it's a ten week class, the program theory and application class, and and every week I go over a, a section of John C. Lilly's programming and metaprogramming book. But it's not just academic; it's it's really like pulling people up. People are discussing. I send out questions during the week. And the question, one of the questions I sent out, and this is the section from Lily, he wrote, uh, once seen, it is easily programmed even with extreme body position changes. Analysis shows, in a particular case, 
that this face is in storage from very young childhood and was generated, resulted from fantasies about bodies, male and female, threatening, seductive. This projection is a useful tracer as a, as a tracer of certain kinds of fears. And what he's talking about is, is how unconsciously people project things onto other people that, that we are often in the classical, the classical case would be like where a husband and wife is arguing and like the wife might say to the husband, like, you're not talking to me, like you're talking to your mother. And, and that's, that, that's something that people like, we see that like all the time, like you see it on TV, you see it, it's, and, and we see it in ourselves, of course, because people have those kinds of conversations where all of a sudden it's like, oh, she's right. Like I'm, I'm talking to my wife right now as though she's my mother because she sees me talking to my mother and this isn't my mother, but unconsciously that gets projected up onto people. And uh, I'm sure that's never happened to you. Only, <laughs> only most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and these, but the thing is, is that, that these projections are, are unconscious and they, and they stem from, uh, from where, where it is that the internal reality is in balance with the external reality. What Lily's talking about here is particular projection uh, of, a, of a face and the, the example that he gives or the, the lesson or activity that he suggests to people is if you stare in a mirror for an extended period of time, particularly if you, if you don't blink, what happens is your face actually distorts. Uh, and, uh, but even if you do blink, if you just stare at your face, it starts to take on like other shapes and it starts to become this like scary face. And he says that that's, that's a projection that exists within us. And so my, my question, or what I pointed out to everybody, is that you, you, you have this face, stop denying it. Describe that face in you. What is it? What is the, what is, what are its, I should say, what are its origins? What are the aspects of the face? What purpose does it serve? Does it serve you well? Uh, and the, the point of that is to get people to look at, like, what, what is it that I, that I project onto other people? And for example, if, if, if I'm going into an un unfamiliar situation with other people and if I'm tense about it, that means I'm projecting something onto the situation and onto the people before even meeting them. And that's pointing at that scary face. That's pointing at um, the fantasies, the threatening, the seductive, like all sorts of things that, that, that we, we send out onto people. And it's, it is visual, but it's not, it's not consciously visual, mm -hmm. but it's also there. And so uh, you brought that up this morning. That's why I'm bringing it up. And so, right, so, right. so I'm going to put it on you. Wait, what, what are your thoughts on that at this point? You just floated and whatnot. Well, I think it's particularly interesting that that is the one section that I was looking at from, your, uh, from the material from this past week. I mean, really looking at it and, and you know, I've, I've, as you said, audited this class, you know, half a dozen times and, uh, and I've never spent that much time on that one particular section. Then you just happened to pick that exact <laughs> paragraph as your opening question. And I, I just kept thinking to myself, you know, where, what is this for me? Why, why am I paying attention to this so much? And, uh, while I was floating about it. I don't feel like I got through to a, a real answer, but as I was in there and, and hearing you describe the process here, I can see um, maybe there's a, a flavor of judgment that I'm putting out there that when I, when you said walk into a room, you know, what, what am I putting out on other people? What am I projecting out on other people? And uh, on some level, I can see some sort of a judgment look on, on that face that you're talking about coming back at me. And I can mostly see it because I'm getting uncomfortable right now talking about it, <laughs> number one. 
And, uh, and number two, I felt that my judging other people, right? So I know that there's a relationship there to what I'm putting out, what I'm doing. That's, that's really interesting. When you say judging, judging, what do you suppose it is that you're judging them about? Mm. That's, that's a tough one. What? Soften your mind. Soften my mind, okay. right? What is it that I, what's, what's the judgmental, what was it about? Um, I mean, if I take it back as far as I can, you know, am I, am I being a good person? Are they being a good person? Um, am I doing it right? Approval. There's something in there that, uh, that me personally, that I'm searching for on some level, and, and I'm definitely putting it out there on other people. It sounds almost kind of like this question of like, am I good enough? Yeah. And do they think I'm good enough? Yeah. And, you know, how dare they like not think that I'm good enough? Absolutely. All of that and, and probably a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So some softening going on there. Uh, maybe I can spend some more time on my next float considering that and uh, in between too. Yeah, there's a... There was, what popped up as you were talking about that is someone that I was recently talking to who has taken taken some of our classes as well. And one of the things that I think is part of this 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 projection that he has, like this this scary face from from early on in life, is there's something where he talks about how like early on in life, like he always he saw that like things were things people were doing things to him. Like he he was like a victim. Mm. That that and, and it was kind of like like no one is um, do, doing things the way that I want them to be done. You know, I want I want things to be done a particular way. I don't, you know, I want mom to uh, stay at home, or I want dad not to go to work, or I, how dare they, um, you know, go away without me? That kind of thing. But there's something there that goes on because uh, one of the things that that he's noticed is that like like no matter um, uh, what happens. He is always uh, he is always going to um, you know insist that uh, people are doing things to him like that he that he's a victim. Very blaming. Yeah, he's, he's very blaming, yeah. and uh, and and that's a problem. You know, that's a huge problem for him. So, um, but the uh, but yeah, so that's that's some of the things that we do in the in the program theory class. You know, it's like having those kinds of conversations. People can uh, email and have discussions we do the webinar and everything and um that's i think all that's all we're going to cover today because um uh but this is this is good and it's a good good intro for for other people to like learn a little bit about you know how it's applied by an entrepreneur like yourself and a business owner and, and so forth so uh, thank you for for being on on the iFloat radio podcast and talking about your float experiences and taking some of our classes today thank you david it was fun thanks paul
This has been a DSCT.TV production.